Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker, and I'm an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I just really love having geeky conversations with people about all kinds of new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, we continue our short tour through the roundtable talk about Black theology and biblical equality. Dr. Yeshaya Gruber interviewed Dr. Charles Howard, who is the university chaplain and vice president for social equity and community at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Dr. Howard's research and writings include academic works as well as meditative poetry. He focuses on issues such as Black theology, poverty, and social change. Speaking of Black theology, do you even know what that means? Let's start the conversation this week with Dr. Howard's definition and then his description of unique aspects of Black theology. I think I, often when I talk to my students, I, I sort of start about you know, defining theology. Broadly and literally, as kind of God talk or um, study of God, study of the divine, uh, words about the divine, logos, theos, and the way that that's employed as kind of a um, academic field, parallel to cousins with uh, philosophy. Um, my my wife is a political scientist, and like it, it, it can be an academic field. It can also sort of be a personal act of devotion, and it's important to name. And then there are these sort of like subsects of what theology is, and the audience totally gets that. Um, whether that's around the um, studying the Bible and studying the way that we worship and studying kind of the end times and why do bad things happen. And one of these sort of subsects of, of theology is liberation theology. Um, and then you can kind of distill that even further into. Um, a black theology, and I, I sort of would describe it as black theologies. So I think there's several different interpretations of even what that means, and different lo- locations and different sources and different goals and, and, and so forth. But to me, it's ultimately kind of a liberative project structure coming out of a theological space that for many is rooted in um, scripture and the Christian tradition and the black experience in America, again, there are non-scriptural, non, certainly not American, uh, and even non-Christian black theologies. For me, I sort of see it as rooted in the black American Christian narrative and broad liberative experience project um, here in the States. And then, and then what does that mean? One of the earliest sources in black theology, black liberation theology, sort of the, the father of it, people refer to James Cone, um, who in so many ways is, is a, a saint and a theologian's theologian. And, and I still think kind of underappreciated for his broad contributions to theology broadly. But in his earliest writings, he sort of anchors so much of this 
in the kind of Exodus narrative and its parallels with sort of the, the black exodus out of slavery here. And this is something that um, enslaved Africans and early abolitionists were doing. This is very much in Frederick Douglass's speeches and sermons uh, and Harriet Tubman being re- 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 referred to as like the black Moses. This is sort of an, a big part of just so many of the black spirituals. Yes. So sort of, uh, go down Moses, the black spiritual referring to um, the kind of Moses' work in, in the liberation of enslaved Hebrews in Egypt, which is a profound thing to think about Egypt as an African. Like, really, there's a lot in there. What is black theology? It is sort of net employing those liberative gifts, projects, vision, context to contemporary spaces that need liberating. Hmm. And that is all the spaces that I identified earlier. Justice, life expectancy, political, academic spaces. So much of Cohn's work was in reconstructing, uh, breaking down and reconstructing academic spaces that were inherently racist. Um, I'll add one definition. One of my uh, dissertation advisors named Stephen Ray is a theologian, religious scholar here in the, in the country and a president of, of a seminary. He described um, black theology as reconstructing the center. And the way I think about that is I think about like a, um, if you look at like a piece of paper that has, uh, it's in the middle of the paper is what's important. Like you write here, hmm. but over in the margins, this is not important. This is where you doodle. This is where you kind of like, you punch holes in the margins over here too. Reconstructing the center is sort of bringing that which is marginalized, those who are marginalized, to where it's important here in the middle. And in so many ways, sort of black folks have been marginalized in every aspect of life. And the example I give, and then I'll shut up, when I was doing my uh, comprehensive exams, where you have to kind of um, take these big tests, you know, to sort of show what you've learned over the course of your study, your doctoral studies. And I got this list of like scholars and theologians for over the last 2,000 years, sort of Christian, and it's pages and pages. There was one black person on the list, James Cone. One woman on that list. Maybe two non, like, yeah, Western European folks on that list. Reconstructing the center is saying, there's only been one black person to do worthy theological work in all this time, only one woman. Let's bring those marginalized voices and add them to this list. Not in the name of deleting anyone off the list, but in reconstructing the center to add names and people to that list. That's black theology. And to a certain extent, I really wish I could see you all as I ask if you think you are represented among the scholars who are celebrated for doing good biblical studies. Do you hear your own cultural perspectives or do you find yourself among people in the margins? Or maybe you think the theological world is doing just fine because it feels so normal to you. Well, then maybe you are squarely in the center of the page. How much effort should you make to listening to those who are contributing brilliant work, but who are not famous for their work? 
these are challenging questions to ask ourselves. When I listened to the full roundtable talk with Dr. Howard, I found myself leaning over and glancing through my bookshelves to see how many people of color and how many non-European or American scholars were represented in my library. I'm doing okay, but I could probably do better. So who gets to talk about truth? What is truth anyway? Well, let's listen to a poem Dr. Howard wrote about truth. It says truth. No one's got it all. Neither side, neither nation, neither denomination, neither of us. For who can capture the truth? Truth, absolute truth, also known as love, does indeed exist. Who can possess or wrap one's arms around something bigger than oneself? It's, 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 I, I feel something sort of reading it now. You know, I wrote this a long time ago. Um, and in so many ways, I think it was really meant to be more of a theological statement around an awe for the divine um, and the danger of trying to imagine capturing even a portion of, of, of what the divine is, of what God is, um, and the only futility, but almost kind of irreverence of trying to overly describe anything connected to something so much bigger than, and more complex and more beautiful than our grandest thought. And, and yet I think there's something convicting around this political moment where so much of our conversation is us and them. We're right and they're wrong. One of the things my wife talks about in political science is the danger of kind of putting our best against their worst, which happens in media and social media and conversation all the time, of kind of pointing out this really shameful moment or thing that their team did and all the good that we've done and are going to do in our, in our policy and our platforms. Very typical. Forgetting that, A, there are good people on both sides, which is a dangerous phrase that has gotten the president in a lot of trouble, referring to kind of white nationalists and you know, protesters of white nationalists. And I don't mean in that sense. But that there are humans on both sides who have dreams and fears and want to be good parents and want to take care of their aging parents and, you know, want and like funny shows and movies and and maybe the other party has some points worth listening to. Maybe they're not a zero and we're not a 100. And maybe we're all here for a reason. That doesn't mean we tolerate crap. It doesn't mean we tolerate racism and bigotry. But it doesn't mean that the other side is trash. No human's trash. There has to be a certain humility, no matter... Um no matter which side of a political or, or other de religious debate that we find ourselves on, there has to be a certain amount of humility recognizing that we certainly don't have um, the complete truth. And um, I think that's brilliantly expressed here in the poem. Um, can I just ask you about one line here? Truth, absolute truth, also known as love. This is a challenge for many people to combine truth with love. Because so often we hear strident voices insisting that they have the truth and they don't seem very loving. And then on the other side, you might have very, very loving people who are not very well informed 
Yeah. Um, how, how do you put these two so important concepts and, and realities together? I, uh, you know, I think it's important to tread lightly and to try to choose words carefully when thinking theological thoughts. But if I could sort of come in clumsy-handed, I, I think of God as truth. And uh, there's a passage in uh, the Christian uh, Bible that describes God as love. And so is it possible that the divine is both truth and love? And we seek to commune and connect and love the one who is truth and the one who is love too. And I believe that that God of truth, that God of love exists, but our little arms are way too short to like wrap ourselves around that. Hmm. Hmm. And I think bringing that to kind of an earthly level, I, I, I think there, I think it's dangerous to think that there is an absolute truth about, for example, any person or a, a, a story of a nation that is fully true, hmm. that gets every aspect, every facet of it. And who could wrap our arms around that? And I think our love of our nations is got to be complex and imperfect, and our nations love us imperfectly. And it's hard to sort of make sense of that, too. It's not, not the same as the kind of divine reflection on that. But, you know, that's... That's kind of where I've tried to kind of play with that. Hmm. Thank you. Ah, and one more final bit I have to play for you because it has to do with music. And in another project I'm doing, I just finished a series about jazz and biblical law and what music can teach us about lament and protest. So I find this part of the roundtable talk to be so interesting. Dr. Gruber read a portion of a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois in which he describes African-American music, which is the foundation not only for the blues and jazz, but for most American-style music now. The quote says, The most original and beautiful expression of human life and longing, yet born on American soil, sprung from the African forest, adapted, changed, and intensified by the tragic soul life of the slave. It became the one true expression of a people's sorrow, despair, and hope. What a gorgeous quote. I'm a big Du Bois fan. You know, the really complex guy. Yes. Uh, you know, I think one of the great first, probably the first really great American sociologists, period. Um, and I love his sort of Pan-African vision. And, you know, my uh, my grandfather was actually friends with Dr. Du Bois. Hmm. So there, I've always had this sort of like familial um, affection for for him. It is a worthy project, I think, really trying to work through the full canon of Du Bois's writing. And if someone's looking for a project to kind of dive deeper into Black history and Black scholarship, 
just the journey through souls of, of, of black folk and the Philadelphia Negro and, you know, all the dark water, all the stuff that he sort of wrote and on top of articles he wrote, um, you will learn a ton. And I love the sort of angle that he, that he takes here around black music and, and the black music connected to, to black religion as an articulation of the complexity of triumph and tragedy of the kind of black experience. Um, I, I think he would even expand this if Du Bois is around today. You know, this is now almost 60 years after his, his death we're coming up on. And to sort of see what he would do with rap and hip hop music and hmm. the advent of kind of um, black pop music that is fully kind of, has fully taken over in a lot of ways. Um, Billboard and all those sort of things, black rock. Um, black um, classical, which is a weird phrase to say, but for black classical music. I, I'm curious the way that he might have seen that mature. So the music he's referring to is speaking of kind of like spirituals and kind of early black music coming out of the experience of being enslaved and early uh, kind of music of reconstruction period here too. And then the kind of emerging to that early blues, early jazz music which the root of that is still heard in listening to Kendrick Lamar right now. Um, the, the root of that is still felt in Common's music and John Legend's music and her and like, you know, so many great black artists to Beyonce, Jay-Z, all of them. And yet it is with um, a several decades of the accumulation of black wealth um, and black power and, and, and sort of black strength and the kind of continuous intermingling of black music and white music. And those borders have really kind of been erased in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what his response would be today to, to Jay-Z whose music is listened to in the, in the white suburbs, you know, and, or, or Beyonce who, you know, has like deals with like Netflix. Hmm. And what, what does that mean? I, I, I'd love to sort of hear what, what Du Bois thinks about that kind of really interesting development um, today. Me too. I'd love to hear Du Bois' take on our music and society today. If you want to learn more from Dr. Howard, He has a book called Black Theology as Mass Movement, in which he talks about both the intellectual or academic side, along with the social action or practical aspects of black theology. I'll add a link for that book in the episode notes of the show. You can also hear the rest of the roundtable talk with Dr. Charles Howard, in which he and Dr. Gruber talk about extreme movements, ideas around reparations, and violence in protest. Simply head over to israelbiblecenter.com where you can listen to his roundtable talk called Black Theology and Biblical Equality. While you're there, just sign up and start earning credits towards Israel Bible Center certificate program in Jewish context and culture. And to make it easy for you, I'll add a link in the episode notes of the show. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible.